Welcome to the IPv6 Buzz podcast, where we dare to dive into the 128-bit address space wormhole. Ah, I'm Ed Horley with my co-host, Scott Hogue. Tom Coffin is off on vacation. But today, we've got a sponsored show with Cisco, and we're going to be talking with Mark Townsley and Pradeep Kathal about their IPv6 capabilities and their thought leadership around IPv6 you know, inside of Cisco. And combined between Pradeep and Mark, they have about 50 years of experience at Cisco, and I know they got a lot of years of IPv6 experience in that 50 years too. And so um, let's chat with them around some specifics so everyone knows Pradeep. He's the CTO of the Enterprise Networking Group, and Mark is a fellow in this Meraki business unit. Correct me if I got that correct, you guys. <laughs> and and they le- they're leading up Cisco's IPv6 effort across the enterprise networking side. So gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, Scott. Yeah, Happy to be awesome. here. Well, let's jump right in and start off with some questions, because I think everyone sort of wants to know what Cisco's up to and like how you guys are sort of seeing the world. So, you know, with V6, with, you know, with the content provider networks, the service provider networks, I think we all can agree that those are pretty mature in, in V6 today. Like they've even got V6 only deployments going. They're pretty mature in terms of that area. But I think we've had this feeling for a long time that adoption in enterprise is really sort of lagging. It's falling behind. Uh, especially where those folks are, mobile providers, et cetera. So, you know, what challenges are you seeing that these organizations are facing about moving to IPv6 and, and maybe talking us through how Cisco sees that? Maybe, Pradeep, you can start us off with that around the enterprise networking side and talk about what you guys really see as, as the challenges going on right now. Before I take that question, I wanted to say Mark and I just came back from Cisco Live. We had Cisco Live in Las Vegas last week. And some of the interesting statistics were at uh, Cisco Live, we had 19 sessions on IPv6. Uh, These probably were the largest number of sessions we ever did in a Cisco Live. And uh, some of these sessions were like four-hour tutorial kind of sessions. Uh, The other thing I just looked up Almost 50% of the traffic was IPv6, exactly 47.7%, close to 50% of the traffic was IPv6 okay, at uh, Cisco Live. I just wanted to give you some statistics before we jump in. Okay, uh, When it comes to the challenges of uh, enterprise networking, I think some of the big challenges lie around uh, legacy, legacy devices, uh, legacy applications. Okay. And the interesting point also becomes is that some of these devices and applications which enterprises have, they may not be under IT control. The line of business may be managing and maintaining those devices and applications. Okay. That means uh, that IT doesn't really have any power to go replace them. And the, the way those uh, business units look ROI may be a completely different uh, ROI. They look diff- from a different lens perspective. Okay. So those are the, some of the challenges we see at the enterprise perspective. The visibility is another area that how much visibility they get, how much telemetry they get from the network to see which devices, which applications are still using IPv4 and how to basically get those IPv4 devices on the IPv6 networks. These are some of the challenges we see. Mark, you want to add something else? I think you covered it pretty well, Pretty, It's a journey when you're deploying IPv6 and you can't just look at the network. You have to look all the way up to the applications. You know, the nice thing about being at Cisco Live last week is you can really uh, talk to the customers and and hear what their pain points are and uh, focus on on what we can do to help that. Yeah, I was looking at some statistics that were published at Cisco Live. It said like 
88 terabytes of traffic, 44 was IPv6 and a little less was V4. And so if you tracked the previous years, you know, where you had, you know, before previous years, like 2019, 87% V4, last year, 56% V4, now, you know, less than 50% was V4. So you see V4 slowly declining and IPv6 growing over the last few years. This is go live. I guess that's an indication of what networkers, <laughs> uh, you know, are experiencing from their perspective. And part of that is that a lot of devices now have V6 enabled by default. So if you have your laptops or mobile phones, the V6 is enabled and is going to prefer V6. So uh, we built a, a dual stack network and most of the devices preferred V6 to go on. And that's why you're seeing the growth. Yeah. Or even give IPv6 a bit of a head start. And Happy Eyeballs was an RFC that we talk a lot about on our show. And that was authored by, you know, two of your Cisco colleagues. Yeah, I remember that very well. It had that funny, catchy name. Um, that was a little bit of uh, Andrew Yortachinko's, uh, you know, humor there, I think. And uh, no, but that was super <laughs> important to um, really you know, allow the application providers and the content providers to get on board because they didn't want, you know, this, this sort of you know, slow fallback. And uh, that was, that was a really important step. Let's talk a little bit about how you guys are approaching maybe customer, you know, customer challenge and issues. Like what's your guys's vision around addressing the gaps that customers are facing around V6 adoption or around V6 challenges in terms of like, you know, lack of features and functions. And, and you know, what do you see the broader industry having to overcome that obviously Cisco can't solve just by itself? It needs the entire, you know, sort of industry overall to sort of address, sh you know, shortcomings and, and other issues that might be going on. And how do you guys look at tackling that stuff? Well, we learned a lot from the world launch about a decade ago. And one of the things that was really important, we realized that we needed to enable V6 by default at the right places. And also that networks that are a large scale and have automation uh, were well set up for V6 and that, you know, really training and such uh, for networks that were, you know, configured by humans rather than by machines required, you know, a lot more training and work with the IT professionals. So this is why I think you saw the rollout in large service provider and large content provider networks first. And now the challenge is around the enterprise networks. And here we have to work with our customers closely and bring in some of those techniques that we learned from the launch and that we've learned from the uh, the large data center networks and in the, in the content providers, as well as the, the big service provider networks into the enterprise in order to help, uh, you know, get V6 deployed. IPv4 has been there for a while. Okay. It's matured. Uh, we have a lot of engineering talent which knows how to deploy IPv4 network uh, and we were just talking before this uh, podcast started. There are a couple of things which we need to think about. One is how do we create the similar cookbooks, operational procedure, the industry needs to think through that when they deploy IPv6, all of that is available. Okay. The training is another area where we might want to, as an industry, look at how do we provide the training to the newer people or the operators on how to operate IPv, either dual stack or IPv6 only network. So those are the things I believe we need to look from an industry perspective. If you think 
That's what I was talking about from a Cisco Live. We did a couple of very deep dive sessions to start getting the next generation of network operators or uh, network uh, geeks uh, starting to learn on IPv6 and starting to deploy IPv6 network. Yeah, I think that's key critical because and in Cisco Live, we've been very fortunate. Cisco Live actually has a, a pretty long portfolio for those that can go back and watch all the content. There's quite a bit of V6 uh, that's been presented over the years, you know, from, you know, Denise Fishburne and Tim Martin and, and others who, uh, Eric <laughs> and everyone else who, who put content out there uh, and made it available um, for folks to basically get up to speed on V6. And you guys have been doing that for a long time. So uh, the industry overall appreciates how much time and effort you guys have put into it. And I know it's been ramping up more uh, recently, so that's fantastic news. I'm glad to hear you had so many sessions yeah. going on. And 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 I think, you know, as you mentioned, one of the challenges the industry faces overall is just understanding where to get started with V6, right? Like, what's that starting point? So having cookbooks, having, you know, validated designs, having all that other working operational uh, knowledge to be able to take a design and actually get it to something deployable is like a big win uh, for the industry overall. So it's great to hear that you guys are, are, are going to be, you know, considering and working through some of that stuff because it's definitely things that, you know, we found to be super useful um, in terms of, you know, <laughs> making it a little bit easier for customers to understand how to actually get something deployed. Because um, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much design and architecture you think about until you actually deploy it and are using it, <laughs> right? You're not really using yeah. V6 in the way that you think. I will just add one thing for our federal friends. We just published a CVD mostly focused on uh, federal mandate and how to go about uh, transitioning to uh, IPv6. So they should look at that uh, a CVD or a CVP or whatever we're calling it. No, that's fantastic. That's great news. So for those that are in the federal space, you, <laughs> you now have a reference point to work with, which is which is good because I know they've been struggling trying to trying to figure some of that stuff out. Well, let's um, maybe Mark, you can talk since you're part of the Meraki team. That, that's relatively new, right? <laughs> in terms of you working with the Meraki stuff. I think if folks don't know your background, you've, you've been involved at Cisco for a long, long time and, and, and been doing a ton of work around, you know, RFCs and standards and you're, you're, you're a Cisco fellow. So you've been, you've been doing a lot of technical work for a long time, but you switched over and joined the Meraki team and, and, Basically, we're working on V6 in Meraki, I imagine, with a lot of other th technical things. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about what your philosophy and approach around getting V6 into Meraki was, and maybe tell us a little bit about where that fits in the product portfolio, maybe a little bit about the thought process around you know what you did there. Yeah, no problem. Indeed, uh, I moved my family from uh, Europe to California in 2019. Just in time for lockdown. <laughs> yeah, just just in time to lockdown. But uh, one of the main purposes of of you know me joining Meraki was really the opportunity to try to tackle some of the challenges with V6 in the enterprise space. And I felt like actually Meraki was a little bit later than the rest of Cisco's portfolio in coming to V6. But I wanted to use that as an advantage to, you know, look back upon, you know, what had been done, um, some of the great V6 work that by the people who wrote the RFCs, to your point, were writing the code and getting, you know, the earliest implementations out there. Um, this was a chance to, to step back and say, okay, what 
do I actually need to enable in order to make the life of the, you know, the IT admin's job as simple as possible? And that kind of met the Meraki ethos of simplicity as well. So, you know, first thing we did was sort of look at the entire Meraki full stack and the cloud management and stuff and start collecting data and really took a data-driven and deployment-minded approach um, to enabling V6 for the customer. I remember a lot of customer meetings during that time, and it was really like, rather than a list of IPv6 features that we were just checking off, it was more like stepping back and really taking a design approach and saying, how do I make this simple for the customer uh, and for, for the IT admin? And so one of the things that we had learned during the world launch was that V6 on by default was really important. Now, we don't want to surprise everybody and have V6 all the way down to the hosts uh, you know, on day one, but we did make the decision to make IPv6 enabled on the WAN links of our MX platform, enabled by default and actually impossible to be disabled. And that was to ensure that that code was being exercised, to ensure that we could track where V6 was and wasn't. Now, on the LAN side, we take a little bit different approach where you have to enable IPv6 unless it's a brand new VLAN. If it's a brand new VLAN, we will also enable V6 by default, um, but allow you to turn it off. Um, so with all that, over the past uh, few years, we've just seen you know this ramp up of adoption uh, like you see across the internet from or at Cisco Live or wherever else. Of our almost 2 million MXs that are online, uh, over 80% have a V6 address on the WAM port and we'll check into our dashboard over IPv6. And then it's a you know simple matter of enabling V6 on the downstream LAN uh, interfaces. And there we're seeing double digit increases in you know, each quarter of people enabling IPv6 on their LAN ports. And we're tracking that as well. Yeah. So you're using IPv6 in the in the control plane to those have those devices phone home and get their configuration information, but then they're also starting to use IPv6 in the data plane for actually passing traffic between their connected devices and their upstream internet service. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, th I think it's super important for for folks to understand where Meraki sort of fits in terms of the adoption cycle for for enterprise side. So maybe you can talk a little bit about maybe some product portfolio differences in terms of how you guys see the go to market portion and where Meraki is being used and and how that might impact v6 for enterprises that may be using the traditional, you know, EN product portfolio? Is there is there anything that you can talk through in terms of how that fits right now? Well, our focus for the Meraki portfolio is, again, to make it super simple to enable and deploy IPv6, gone to great lengths to actually even improve v4. One of the things that we even learned back in the early adoption during the world IPv6 launch of IPv6 is it's a great time to go in and touch code that you haven't touched in a long time and refactor it. So some of the things that we pioneer inside v6, like in our auto VPN, the way we, we distribute prefixes uh, for our SD-WAN, we also refactored v4 at the same time. But, uh, you know, with respect to the rest of the enterprise portfolio, of course, Meraki works with the rest of the Cisco equipment and we 
you know, look to the standards and uh, interoperability tests and CVDs and such that Pradeep was mentioning. But um, for the rest of the portfolio, maybe uh, Pradeep has something to add. My take is we are going more towards the software-defined architecture, right? Meraki brings in the cloud-based Meraki dashboard. We are going towards vManage for SD-WAN, DNAC for LAN and uh, things. And as we starting to get telemetry, probably in the rest of the portfolio, we will adapt what Meraki is doing and start making it more simpler. One of the interesting point is that before we started on this uh, software-defined journey, there was very little telemetry coming in. And that's one of the advantages uh, Maraki portfolio had because it is getting all the telemetry. So as all this telemetry starts coming into the other enterprise products, okay, we can start bringing in Maraki-like simplicity into those other products. That's the way I think about it. I think that's super cool. Maybe the crux of my question was IP routing still IP routing. And so as long as you're good with Meraki doing V6 and, and re- being able to just route forward V6 and you've got an enterprise working and you get V6 turned up within your enterprise it doesn't really matter. It's just IP forwarding (laughs) between the two. So you're not going to have any issue. It's a matter of a management plane about whether you have like a unified management for Meraki integrating in with Cisco or how that roadmap works out. But that doesn't really care about the protocols, right? V4, V6 doesn't really matter. So that timeframe of of sort of disconnecting that management Mm -hmm. suite, the telemetry suite from the actual fundamental protocol isn't going to be impacted. So you guys sort of have a don't necessarily have a dependency between the two. Correct me if I'm wrong if I spoke out of turn there. No, actually, it's uh, and I believe at uh, Cisco Live, Jonathan announced, I always get the wrong name, Cisco Cloud for Networking or something like that. I think it was a Cisco Networking Cloud. Cisco Networking Cloud. I always get the name wrong. Cisco Networking Cloud, where he talked about how the managements will come together and that kind of stuff and what is Cisco going to do in that direction. Yeah, indeed. There's a lot of effort. It's a really interesting time to be part of uh, Meraki within Cisco. For a while, I think there is a perception that Meraki was itself on its own own island, you know, part of Cisco, but sort of in its own world. But that's over now. Really, what was an- announced at Cisco Live was the single, you know, move towards a single cloud networking platform, as well as having the best on-prem networking platforms. So some of the things that we can do in Meraki as we bring on the Catalyst portfolio into the Meraki dashboard is bring some of these learnings that we've had when you're in this sort of closed loop where you can see all the deployment as it's happening with V6 in the dashboard and really track what's being, uh, what's actually being used and what's not. So one of the things we've learned about V6 is it's actually worse to have a V6 implementation that's not used than to have no V6 implementation at all. Because uh, if it's not being used, then, you know, that's where you get your zero days. That's where you get bugs that are latent and sit around for a long time. So really tracking that adoption and that telemetry that Pradeep talked about is super important. So we're bringing all those learnings as we uh, onboard the Catalyst portfolio into the Meraki dashboard, um, and they can also be used. It's not about it being a cloud per se. It's more about the automation and, you know, management plane connectivity that uh, allows us to do that. I think you get that benefit because you're you're enabling IPv6 by default. You know, it's it's dual stack by default. And so it's not like a function, a network engineer, network architect needs to go in and activate. It's on if it's available from the ISP or it's activated on the network the device is connected to. And so it's if you had to have it 
know, a manual switch thrown to turn on IPv6, the adoption rate would be lower. If you turn it on by default, it just activates automatically. And then also many other features in your systems just happen to work with IPv6 if it's activated. So you get some operational improvements there, but also adoption is higher because you're turning it on by default, you know, as opposed to like a, a cloud service provider has lots of V6 features, but almost none of them are active automatically for customers. Customer has to know that they have to know about IPv6, have to want it, and then have to go in and turn it on, which is, you know, takes time, takes effort. And, you know, then there's risk with turning it on incorrectly. So you've just taken that step out of the equation, turn it on by default, and it's there and it's ready, you know, for them to use. Turning on by default is a great way to get the adoption. Okay. But the IT operators still need to be understanding that IPv6 is turned on because today's world is all about cybersecurity. Right. And when new features are turned on, they have to be careful on zero day vulnerabilities and other vulnerabilities which may hit their things. So they need to keep any policy which is applied, any ACLs which is applied, they need to keep track of whether it needs to go towards V4, needs to go towards V6, needs to go towards both. So getting it turned on is easy, keeping it running and turned on and making sure that the security is still kept and they are as secure as they can be. Uh, IT operators still need to keep that in mind. Yeah, I think the super important to remember to identify the right places to have it on by default and the wrong places. So as I mentioned before, you know, the place where you're plugging into an ISP, just like an iPhone would or a Mac would or, or what have you, or you know, when you're the place where you're plugging into the ISP, if the ISP is providing dual stack, this is a place to have it available by default so that the IT operator can see right there, oh, my WAN link is connected to something that's you know got an RA on it, or it's got DHCPv6 or DHCPv6PD. They need to know that. And um, that's where we, you know, we're really, again, able to, to learn from what we did with the service providers to to enable that on the WAN link. On the LAN side, it's still an active choice um, for an existing LAN. For a new LAN, well, you've got to configure the V4 address anyway when you go through the workflow of creating a new LAN. And right there, we have the enabled button where you can say disabled if you want, right? But we're nudging them towards uh, V6 on by default by, by showing it to them right there in the same place. And in our ACLs, this is one of the decisions we did a lot of customer research around. It's like separate V4, V6 tables or together. And we learned from uh, the the people who had already been working on V4, uh, V4 and V6 together for so long that having that together in the same table was advantageous. If nothing else, to sh just show you V6 could be here, right, on your network uh, or is there on your network, right? So, you know, a lot of those little choices around how to bring V6 in, have it on by default in the right places, uh, have it in an active choice in the right places was really an important part of the design process to make V6 simpler. Yeah, I think that was a good choice because that's commonly how modern enterprise firewalls are configured. It's a consolidated policy where V4 and V6 rules coexist and co-mingle, but it's easy to, with one view to see what's all being permitted. 
and that matches our recommendations from uh, from the last podcast, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> talking about security. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad to hear that we yeah, we hit we hit that one mm-hmm. correctly. <laughs> um, well, maybe let's loop back to where we sort of started. You guys can articulate how some of your customers are sort of accelerating their investment in V6. I mean, you guys get a unique opportunity. You, you guys are Cisco. You can see across a a pretty wide swath of customers. Uh, obviously, with the Meraki here, you get a, quite a bit of telemetry, as, as you mentioned, Mark, earlier. What's driving the, the V6 behavior within your customer base? What's driving things that uh, you know are, are sort of super important to them? Do any of them use V6 as a competitive business advantage? Is there tactical things that they're doing with it? Why don't you give us a breakdown or a little bit of uh, allow our audience to take a peer into, a peek into what you guys see happening in the industry? Uh, at this Cisco Live, we saw a little more interest in IPv6 than previous Cisco Live. And I think the part of that is coming from the federal mandate. And even the non-federal customers are trying to figure out what is going to be the trickle-down impact on them of this uh, IPv6-only impact. And when do they need to become IPv6-only? When it comes to the business impact of why are people looking at IPv6, either dual stack or IPv6-only, comes down to digital transformation in my mind. Okay. Most of the people want to transform themselves, we provide better customer service, uh, have generally digital savvy footprint. Okay. And that digital savvy footprint comes with a lot of IP connectivity. Okay. Either a lot of IoT devices, which are in their physical space, or they need to offer a lot of services and with uh, applications moving to the cloud and Kubernetes and all sorts of other buzzwords which you can use for uh, delivering those services. And each of those, whether you are installing new IoT devices or doing new applications or services, each of them require new IP address, whether that's a V4 address or a V6 address. Okay. There are not that many V4 addresses left. So V6 is really a path to innovation and digitization in my mind. That's the way I look at it. Mark, want to add anything? Yeah, well, with respect to the the mandates, one thing I I like seeing personally about how some of the new mandates are being written is that it's more about that data-driven deployment-minded approach, you know, a certain percentage of your host must be V6 only and, and such rather than the, you know, the previous approach, which seemed a little bit more list of RFCs, go do these, right? <laughs> I'm being, uh, you know, uh, maybe I'm summarizing it too uh, loosely there. But again, one of the things that we found is that if you're focusing on making it simple to deploy, it is possible to make it simple to deploy. And when you're doing that, if you're only focusing on a, a list of features, you may miss that overall end-to-end deployment aspect. Uh, so I was really happy to see the um, the some of the guidelines and, and mandates coming from the federal space to be you know more deployment-minded. Now, with respect to what you said, Pradeep, about innovation, it's incredible all the things that you can do when you have more elbow room in your address space. And um, we saw a lot of, we see, you know, segment routing, SRV6, we see, you know, a lot of the, you know, possibilities coming when you have that, you know, IPv6 first type network to operate within. And more and more, V4 is kind of seen as that thing that is pushed over the top or out to the side. And if you're, uh, you know, in charge of a, an 
important network and it's your job to make sure that uh, you're on the cutting edge. You need to be there and make sure that you're moving people to IPv6 so you're not kind of stuck on the exception in some of these uh, network environments rather than the, the mainstay. And we're right on the cusp of that when you see Cisco Live's uh, overall traffic being 47.7. You know, when it goes to 50.1, you know, you're now uh, a majority V6 uh, versus V4. And I think it's becoming, you know, it, more and more clear that uh, you need to have that skill set um, and you need to have products to make it uh, as easy as possible to deploy V6 successfully. And Mark, you brought up a skill set. I think that's a really important point. I think we need to get the industry and industry need to get all the IT basically ready for IPv6. That will be my take. Well, why don't you tell us really quickly, I know Cisco has a lot of folks that participate in standards bodies and standards groups. And um, I imagine you guys have a bunch of efforts going forward um, in terms of how you participate that way. Did you want to give us just a quick overview of, of, of a few of those and that you know, you can think of off the top of your head, would that be okay? Ed, we do participate so much into standard bodies, IETF and Etsy and other places that uh, means enough people go there. And what we are looking at it is continuously make sure that any gap which is there in IPv6, which uh, basically compared to IPv4, we want to fill those gaps. We also want to make sure that IPv6 is as easy to deploy, even from a standards perspective, as easy to diagnose, debug, uh, get visibility into it, create the data model. So those are the areas which we are working on, but making sure that there is parity between V4 and V6, both in IETF and other standard bodies. So means, uh, but the scope is pretty big for this uh, discussion today. Yeah, and my co-author of the Cisco Press book, IPv6 Security, Eric Vank, he's the area director for the internet area and the IETFs and heavily involved in IPv6 uh, work there. Yeah. So it's great to see him involved in the IETF. <laughs> yeah, you should um, you should get him on the show one of these days. <laughs> well, Eric's been a guest on the show in the oh, past, yeah. so he's, <laughs> he's, he's come in. But we should probably grab it. Well, we should probably grab yeah. him to do an update on like 1999 absolutely, or, absolutely. or something like that for some of the security standards. Yeah, which would be mm -hmm. great. And I know you guys have been doing a tremendous amount of contribution work around SRV6. I know that's a been a been a huge effort just both for you guys from a technology standpoint within your your product portfolios but then also within mm -hmm. the ITF in terms of making sure that you know standards are actually getting written that that you know that can be manifested into actual product right that folks can actually you know do yeah. something with so i think uh, i just wanted to recognize the contributions that you guys have been sort of pushing in that area so it's 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 not gone unnoticed in terms of sort of the v6 side yeah we're always looking to push the yeah. industry forward um uh, not just products but the for the betterment of the internet in, in general yeah yeah and it's and i think it's a super it's brought up a lot of interesting conversations with folks uh, it's strange you know interestingly enough we've gotten a lot of we've got we've gotten some very uh, interesting feedback for us. They want they want folks coming in and talking about segment routing on the podcast. We heard you, <laughs> so we'll look at trying to get some folks lined up. But uh, yeah, it's definitely been a good time, and there's been just an acceleration of of V6 conversations yeah. happening. I think probably within the last two years or so. And Mark, I think you can you could probably testify to feeling that sort of you know acceleration happening overall. You've been involved with with the V6 community for a long, long time. We've known each <laughs> we've known each other. For, for a long time. So I, it just feels like there's a, a quite a bit of, of uptick in terms of what's happening there. And I think, uh, you know, you guys have been 
pushing for a long time around the V6 story and what needs to happen. And I think overall, it's been it's it's been good for the industry and and hopefully uh, good for you folks too in terms mm -hmm. of just long term V6 adoption. Yeah, I think that the uh, I, I really feel like that's the third leg of the stool here. Um, when we did the World V6 launch. We kind of knew that Enterprise was off to the side. They were included technically, but one of the hardest things, one of the things that made the launch work for content and service providers was that uh, we had measurement, we had telemetry. Uh, at the very, very beginning of this, it was, you know, Google, then the other uh, content providers providing actual statistics of what they see in terms of adoption uh, allowed for us to create some of the targets for the launch and get the service providers and the home networking vendors, et cetera, all on board. And, you know, that was what was missing on the enterprise side. It's like, how do you measure? You, you have to go to all the different enterprise networks, which was, uh, one of the things that really drove, you know, attracted me to to Meraki was to be able to do v6 in a way where you can actually see what's happening and we're able to do that with uh, with the cloud and you know how we operate these networks from the uh, the MX all the way through the MR and the MS the MV and the MG and all the the different products we're able to to solve some of those end-to-end -end challenges and see what's going on verifiably so I felt like it was you know, had the type of scale and automation necessary to show that V6 in the enterprise can be simple. And uh, I think we're well on our way to doing that. And then we can, uh, as we mentioned before, bring it back into uh, the rest of the Catalyst portfolio um, and, you know, really, you know, have that you know, swing back across the in entire portfolio, uh, the learnings that we had brought into the Meraki platform. Yeah, just to be clear, that's really a telemetry focus, right? A data-driven approach around getting the the right outcome for V6, right? That's what you're really putting your finger on. Yeah, it's 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 sort of the closed loop. You can configure and you can see what ha what what's actually happening, the telemetry. Those two pieces together um, allow you to to track. And if you're not tracking, you just don't really know uh, what's what's going on out there, and it's hard to launch something. So um, yeah, that was. That's exactly what I'm referring to. So the first thing I did when we walked in the door is like, okay, let's start measuring. And we've got uh, a nice set of, of data showing that the, the work that the engineers are doing is paying off. And I believe that's where the telemetry comes into the picture. And as we start getting more telemetry in all of us, uh, controllers and dashboards and stuff that will make us more data driven and help us which features to turn on, when to turn on, what is the right place to turn them on, as Mark, you call them. And you probably have probably four years of pretty good data now because it was back in 2019, you turned on a quad A record for dashboard.meraki.com. So now you, by doing that, you've signaled that that service is reachable over IPv6 by putting in that DNS quad A record and that telemetry is flowing over V6, but... Mark wouldn't have had anything to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that little tweet? Uh, no, that was that was the first thing. I, it was just... It was... You know, bringing the world launch rulebook playbook into Meraki and uh, being that, you know, having that deployment mindset was, uh, you, you said it, we, the first thing we did was like, okay, 
I'm not going to the product team. I'm going to the cloud team. Give me a quad A. And they responded uh, really quickly. And that was sort of like the first, you know, heartbeat out to the uh, V6 community that had been demanding IPv6 for Meraki for so long. And it was like, oh, maybe they're going to do something now. And we have. The features that we put into the MX and the foundation that's there, we're focused on dual stack now. V6 only is next. I think you'll see uh, V6 only, only on our MG platform first. That's our Meraki gateway, cellular uh, gateway. Uh, but it's it's coming across the portfolio. And we're going to watch it like like we did last time. We're not going to try to jump the gun. We're going to watch what's going on and introduce it in a way that is simple. You could configure a V6-only network today if you want to on Meraki, because people like Jeffrey and, and others do. But we don't want to say it's fully supported until you enable it, and it's there. And it just works. Yeah, that's that's fantastic news. I'm really glad to, to, to hear that. And of course, you know, doing a V6-only network, for those of us that are nerds and want to play with the nerd doms, you guys have made them available. But the reality is it's, it's sort of taking the right approach for for your customers in terms of understanding where they're at, where they're at and where they want to go, I, I think is a is is a huge is a huge win. Um, so that's that's and good. all this data. I want to add one other thing. All this data driven approach has given us the tools to help the um, with the the new federal mandates because those that are deployment oriented tracking percentages of hosts and such, mm-hmm. um, we have that data and it's about making that available. So, you know, if you're a federal customer, talk to your account rep, let them know that you want, you know, what kind of features that you need on what timeline in order to help us make it really easy for you to hit those uh, mandate guidelines. Wow. There you go. <laughs> on the federal customer side, there you go. Reach out to your, reach out to your team. All right, so let's talk really quickly, maybe on a wrap-up basis, if there's anything specific you guys want to talk about. Cisco overall, I know there's other business units like you know, security, et cetera, that you guys aren't necessarily talking about here, but you know, for EN, for Meraki, like Cisco overall, V6 Vision, what are you guys seeing? Is there anything else you wanted to drop just for the, for the audience overall around that? No, thanks a lot. I, uh, I think this has been uh, a really great session. I've been happy to be here with my colleague Pradeep. And yeah, we can cover the, the enterprise space. There is so much more going on in IPv6 throughout the, the company. You can see that in all those Cisco Live sessions. Really appreciate being here today. Thanks, Mark. And the only thing I will add is if you're planning to go IPv6 only, reach out to your uh, account teams or whatever it is, and we are here to help. Uh, there are a lot of interesting Cisco Live sessions. All those sessions are available to you on uh, demand. Uh, there are a bunch of sites which we will publish as part of uh, this uh, podcast, and you can look at those. Uh, and uh, go towards IPv6. Fantastic. We'll provide the links in the show notes. Unlike V6, we've run out of space for the podcast. Thanks to today's sponsor, Cisco, and then to our guests, Mark Townsley and Pradeep Kathal. Uh, how can the audience follow you guys on the internet? Is there some way that you guys want folks to reach out to you or just push everything to cisco.com? <laughs> My suggestion will be probably cisco.com and the websites which we'll provide is probably the right way to uh, get to us. It not only to us, to the larger IPv6 community within Cisco, which will be able to help, okay? Because Mark and I are just two people who are just talking today. There's a huge community which can help you. Absolutely.
Fantastic. Well, you can reach the IPv6 Buzz podcast on Twitter. We're at IPv6 Buzz. And you can also hit up each one of us on Twitter too. Uh, Tom is at IPv6 Tom. Scott is at Scott Hoog. And I'm at E. Horley. Thanks for listening to the IPv6 Buzz. You can find us on the Packet Pushers or any of your favorite podcast apps. Just search for IPv6 Buzz. And if you like this show, please give us a rating on iTunes. If you like this podcast, we recommend you check out the newest podcast from Packet Pushers, Heavy Wireless. But you can also listen to Heavy Networking, Day 2 Cloud, and the Network Break Podcast, plus all the other great technical content over at PacketPushers.net. So long and until next time, we'll see you on the internet. The IPv6 internet, that is. Thanks for listening to IPv6 Buzz, a podcast devoted to truth, justice, and 128 bits of address space. IPv6.